listening to Adoption, Fostering and Tea from the UK's LGBT plus adoption and fostering charity, New Family Social. Find us at newfamilysocial.org.uk. I'm Tor, and this week I'm going to be having a cup of tea with Nino and talking about uh, the impact of trauma on adopted children. Hiya. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me today. Do you want to tell me a little bit about yourself and about what your family situation is and so on? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm Nino and I um, have a partner called Jacob and we adopted three children about three years ago and went through the process ourselves and we initially only wanted two children but then a sibling group of three came along that we fell in love with and I suppose that as they say the rest is history. Um, <laughs> they're now five, six and seven, very close in age and I, I work as a psychotherapist as well. I have for 15 years and I find myself now being drawn more towards trauma in children, especially in um, adopted children or bereaved children and I'm finding myself learning a lot more about this and the impact on the child that's gone through adoption, as well as their um, forever family and the family around them, as well as the secondary trauma, especially that the adoptive parents often face. That's so interesting. Um, Given that your professional background, you had that background when you adopted, I think lots of us go into it having heard the words that the child will be affected but sort of deep down still believing that love will just make it all better. Did you have that professional perspective or were you still sort of deep inside a little bit thinking it's okay, I'll just love it better? I think a bit of both. I think a a part of me felt that on the side of the the trauma and the issues they'd faced, I felt that we'd be really equipped to deal with those, which I feel we are. But when you're living it every day, that. It, it drains you, it saps you. You know, when you have a client and you see them once a week and they come in for an hour, at the end of that time, they then go back into their world and you go on to another client. So you you help a client and then they leave. But when it's your own children, it's very different because you're living it every day. And obviously you're sitting with the knowledge of what they've been through prior to coming to live with you. And naturally, if you love your children, you you want to make it better for them. Absolutely. And I guess as a counsellor, you would never set up a 24-hour counselling session and expect to function well throughout it. But parenting is that 24-hour thing. And so it is hard to be as effective on hour 23 as it is on hour one. Completely, completely. You know, there are days where it goes well and you, you're all there for them. And then there's other days where it just goes a bit pear-shaped because, yeah. you know, you everything's been thrown at you and you, you, you don't even know where it's coming from, what triggered it. And, you know, as much as you can put things in place, it's not always plain sailing. No, I agree completely. We had a thing um, with my son last week and... And with hindsight, I can see the point at which the road forked when I should have gone the therapeutic route. And even as it was happening, I was aware that I was cocking up so completely and responding in a way that was so unhelpful. And yet I was I took the wrong fork on the path. Ten minutes later, he's in tears. I'm feeling like the worst parent in the world. And it happens. And it's really hard. And of course, you then try and piece it back together. And, and real life isn't you know, everybody isn't perfect all the time, but it's really difficult. 
did you come to that realization when your kids arrived that how did you first realize it was perhaps going to be a little bit different to the theory I think as we got them and we started to realize the issues that they had um, especially for our middle child who was neglected the most it was it was um, apparent that it wasn't going to be as straightforward as we thought it wasn't going to be as simple as just hold her and give her a cuddle for 10 minutes and then everything will be okay that this was actually a lot of there's a lot of trauma that we we're going to have to deal with I think also our concern then became about how we manage that in terms of her brothers and how you manage their being firm but also being therapeutic but also remembering that there are two other children, there's two parents who need to work, there's a household that needs to function. And I think as time went on and we started to see, you know, there's things that your social worker will say to you during um, training, when you, especially in, in stage two, where you have the more in-depth um, sessions. And I really enjoyed those sessions, just to say they felt like therapy for me. So <laughs> I really enjoyed them. But there are things that would come up there and they would say, well, yeah, you need to be prepared for this or be prepared for that. And you kind of think of, oh, well, I don't think that will happen to us because, you know, we we wouldn't be those sort of parents who would allow that or we'd <laughs> be giving the child a lot more. And then it happens, you know, yeah. and, and you think, oh, my goodness, it doesn't matter what we do, not in a negative way, but the child is coming with this trauma regardless of us. And I think it's trying to um, manage that and actually uh, work out that the child, it's almost like your child is it's divided in two and it's got the child that you are now raising, but the child, the second child is, is what they've come with and you mm-hmm. can't necessarily change that. Yeah, I I understand that completely. I think what took me by surprise was, if I'm honest, I mean, again, I heard the words, I I processed the words, but I think deep down, first of all, I thought that trauma would be exhibited as sadness, not as something more explosive. And secondly, I thought that the child would be always willing to receive care when they were upset. So I thought the child will sometimes be sad, and when they're sad, I will offer and they will receive love. And I think it was a learning curve on both those things in that trauma sometimes doesn't manifest in a sort of benign sadness. It can manifest in anger or destruction or self-destruction or lots of way more explosive things. And then when you offer a response that is kind of framed as loving or any of those sorts of things, the child can be really rejecting of that. And I think both those things left me thinking, oh, I didn't A, expect it to look like this and B, I did expect my response to be received, so now what? Yeah, completely. I think it's 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 also the withdrawal that you might get or the, the child that's sort of closing down and won't let you in. You know, there's a, a few books out there, therapeutic books that, that cover these topics. And, you know, the one thing they use is like a shell. And we see that a lot. And we're three years in, especially with our with our middle child, there's like a shell around her. And it's it's like she wants to let us in, but can't let us in because it's her protection because of what's happened to her. So I think that's when you realise that it's such a, a long road and the trauma, uh, you can only manage it. And some days it's going to be a lot better and other days not. Also the fact that there are, in our case, three of them and you can't give... It's, it's sort of impossible to give one child 
all the attention and not the others without removing them to go somewhere else. And that's tricky, especially during the last you know, a couple of years with the mm-hmm. pandemic, you know, it's it's made it more tricky for us to have that individual time, which they, they already need because they haven't had that. But, and that would be good for them to, to sort of break down their, their trauma levels. Did it affect how you felt about the adoption or how you felt about the children at any point when you realised it perhaps wasn't going to be as you had imagined? No, no, it hasn't affected wanting to adopt or being adopted parents or, you know, I couldn't imagine not having these three children. You know, they're completely ours. And, you know, that that feels amazing and totally connected. And to be honest, I think one of the other issues that that Jacob and I have faced is that on a daily basis, because we feel connected to them, you forget sometimes that they are adopted, that they're not your birth children, mm-hmm. um, because they feel totally yours. You know, they, to- we, 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 in so, in so many levels, we are totally connected. So no, I, I wouldn't say there's any time when we, we wouldn't want this. I think the, the issue comes in is that when you are raising adopted children in a society that perhaps doesn't fully understand right down to family members that's the tricky part because you you're trying to manage the child in a very different way and you might respond in a very different way to what other people might because you know that that's how you need to deal with the situation so there's so many challenges like that um and there's lots of things that we you know get get um that are said to us that that frustrates us because that sort of tells us that people don't really understand. So it's trying to manage all of that. But I wouldn't say at any point that we wouldn't have wanted this to to happen. There's, there's absolutely no regrets. I mean, it's really good that you feel like that. Tell me a bit more then about managing other people's judgment. I think the the one big thing that we find difficult and I know a lot of adopters find very difficult is when you're explaining about an issue with your child and the response you get is all children do that Mm, yeah and immediately I want to start shouting and screaming (laughs) and saying not all children have been through what our children have been through you know and in general terms not specific to ours but you know what child should be removed from their birth family because they have been neglected not fed not bathed you know left strapped in a pushchair day and night not given toys not given any of those things so when you're saying all children do that immediately I'm like no because this is a issue that's related to the fact that there was neglect that they weren't given attention that they're now like a dry sponge trying to sap up any attention they can get so whether it's good or bad that's what they are are, they will do to get attention because at least they're getting something. So that's one big thing we face. We face difficulty with with schools not necessarily understanding, you know, with regards to, you know, they mean well, but with not understanding the fact that children that are adopted need to be narrated to all the time about day-to-day things that other children just accept, like um, snack times or lunch times or toilet times that you have to actually say to them, there is, you are going to get a snack today, you are going to get your lunch today. Because when they were in their birth family, they, they that, that didn't happen for a lot of adopted children. So they, they need to be reminded of those things. So narrating and telling a child, you can't, you can't just throw um, surprises at a an adopted child all the time because they won't see it as exciting like a birth child may. 
Yeah, I agree with that. When when our son was really little at one bit, we were saying something about going on holiday. We kept talking about going on holiday, going on holiday. And eventually got really upset and was talking about how would we move the furniture there and things like that. Yeah. And I realised we hadn't said we're going on holiday and then coming back. I'd assumed that he understood it as a circular journey because that's what we all understand it to be, except he didn't. It was about a one-way trip and it represented loss. Yeah. Completely. And I know when when we were going on our first trip with the children and we did a we were suggested by the social worker to do to go somewhere that was within, you know, we could come back at any point in the day or night if we needed to. So we went somewhere that was only about an hour or so away. And we were told, you know, you need to take up the bags, you need to pack and unpack, pack and unpack, because then that will hopefully show them that we are coming back, narrated all through you know, explain, you know, talk about it. We're going there, then we're going to do this and that. Then on this day, we're going to come back. And we do that even now when they're going over to grandparents or we're going away to visit a friend. You know, we have to explain how many sleeps, what we're going to be doing, when we're going to be coming back, because it's so important for them to understand that that this is their forever home. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, We talk about the future sometimes and I talk a lot about you can always come back to live with us. That will be always be fine, you know, um, because there's sometimes I think an anxiety about where will I live when I'm older? Um, And again, you know, hearing stories of when you leave home and things like that. And, you know, in, I have two birth children and one adopted child and in the birth children, that's just a sort of, it's either a bit of a joke or it's something exciting. But in my adopted child, it's really different. It's potentially about an ending and being thrown into the world and those sorts of things. It's really different completely i think for for adopted children they just they just operate differently and they need to you know they need to have that connection they need to understand that things aren't you know going away even though they don't always get that but it's that you you know you're constantly reminding and and explaining what's happening because that's the only way they'll understand yeah, I agree. It sounds like you do a lot of that verbally, verbal reassurance, but do you do other things as well to give that sense of permanence or security? So, yes, so we, we do a lot of that verbally. And then um, they have got the um, introductions book that they had from before we met them, so that we have in, in our front room that they can look at at any point. We also have started to introduce their life story books, but um, we haven't spent, we've only recently got those, so we haven't spent a lot of time on that. But we also have, you know, photos around the house and we use a lot of adoption related books because we find then there's a way for them to understand um, where they fit in and we talk obviously we talk openly about their adoption with them and about what we feel is appropriate to share about their history at their age so they understand why because I think otherwise children can be left with questions and might be wondering why you know they are where they are but yeah uh, we find that books um, they they love reading all three of them so you know books has been our a good way for them to read about their journey themselves and then to come to us and and we can talk about it as well do you find it hard to find that line between honesty about why they were adopted versus either fluffing it up so much that it it becomes just too watered down i'm mixing lots of metaphors here <laughs> fluffing it up watering it down is do you find it hard to find that line between 
explaining it in such a gentle way that it sounds almost like they should never have been removed versus explaining it too brutally in a way that is just frightening and very hard to process. I wonder how you found that line. We, we haven't battled with that. One thing we, they came from the foster carer with terms, they used terms such as good choices and bad choices. Mm. So we, we've, we've used that as our way to explain that, you know, adults can make good choices and bad choices. We've used examples, you know, that they have some understanding of. And we've, you know, explained to them that they weren't able to look after them. It wasn't their fault. It was that they didn't, they, they didn't know how to. And that's why they weren't able to remain with their birth family. We could refer to them as tummy mummy and tummy daddy. Those are the terms that we've chosen to use with them. Yeah. And um, we find that they understand that. They've always seemed to understand that fairly well. We are quite lucky that our eldest was asking the social his social worker for a forever family he wanted a forever family and he would ask her you know have you when should go to visit him and his younger brother and sister you know have you found someone yet so we were quite lucky in that sense that that work was done so he he was ready and he what he really wanted a family a forever family that he could call his own so he had that narrative you know before we even came along and we found that in the life story books it was very wishy-washy and it was talking about you know recipes and how you need all the ingredients to be a good parent and we just found that that was just too confusing for them and we felt it was better for them that we were more direct and you know explain good and bad yeah I understand that our first draft of the life story book that we received was so watered down as to leave the reader wondering why on earth the child was ever removed, really. It was so gently written, and in the end, it had to be redone, and we said this needs to be a lot clearer about why this was the only choice left available, because it was the only choice left available, but it didn't come across in the telling of the story, you know? So you mentioned about secondary trauma. Do you want to say a bit more about that? I think for for what we understand of secondary trauma um, is that... It's what you take on as the parent based on what the child is presenting with. So, you know, um, their anger or their frustration or their withdrawal or their anxiety, you pick that up yourself and how that then you feel like you're living that too based on what they are displaying in the in the home. Um, and we, we found by doing a course that sort of helped us to recognize that and actually acknowledge the fact that we were at times suffering from that and how that can be just totally draining and I think for both of us we both are I would say hard workers and didn't have an issue with working longer hours or putting in extra hours in our respective um, work or or doing things around the house and we found that since getting the children even though they not massively demanding children we find that we can in some days just be totally exhausted because of what's been thrown at us and what you take on and how you're constantly trying to to deal with that trauma that they're displaying yeah I can understand that it can sometimes be really difficult and and you're right sometimes you don't quite realize that you are reading stress from the child and beginning to feel that stress as well which I guess is a circle anyway. It probably then feeds theirs back and round you go. So I guess that recognition is really useful. How do you now manage that? 
So um, we've made a f- a quite a few changes. So we have, I left a permanent job and started up on my own because I found that then I could, you know, work my own hours. I found that even though I thought my employer was was supportive, they weren't as supportive as I'd hoped and working those longer hours just wasn't possible. There wasn't that understanding. So I've gone on my own where I can work my own hours. So that helps me to 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 balance that. Jacob works less hours already. We also get support from our from the children's local authority from where they were placed from um, in the form of systemic family therapy which helps us we only we only have we've chosen to only have sessions every two weeks which helps us to talk about what is going on in the home so that it doesn't build up and then ends up being a bigger issue so we talk about that openly with our therapist who's amazing and think about strategies or ways to change it because this is not a normal approach to a family Um, and sometimes we have to change things like how we deal with meal times due to food issues or how we deal with you know individual time so we can think about that with her and come up with strategies to help ourselves we also do something that's a lot of people might think is odd but sometimes we um split the family in different directions and we you know one child will go to the grandparents one child will stay with Jacob and one child will stay with me and we do different things to give us that individual time to give us that time when it's not stressful having three children very close in age that that need everything from you because although they you know five six and seven they're operating at 18 months to three years emotionally so that those all those different strategies we're finding now that we're three years into this are helping us to to reduce that trauma and that that the stress that we sometimes feel that sounds really positive um I recognize the three children thing obviously and um one of the things that I learned, you know, fairly early on, I guess, was you could view it in two different ways. One is constantly beating yourself up for the two out of the three children whose needs are not being met. And the other is to give yourself a pat on the back that I'm currently meeting child A's needs. Now I'm meeting child C's needs. Now I'm meeting child B's needs. And if you focus on the two that you aren't managing to cater to in that moment, I mean, it's impossible. You can't. And so for me, it was about just reframing it as I'm doing well with this child right now. Now I'm doing well with this child and just trying to see it that way because you're not magic. You're not an octopus. You don't have as many arms as you need, you know. Yes, you you are right then. Also, our, our own social worker who is amazing and who's been so supportive throughout the process and journey, you know, she said to us, you know, it's a 30-30-30 rule, you know, 30% of the time you're going to get it right, 30% of the time you're going to sort of be in the middle and 30% of the time you won't get it wrong, but you'll learn from that. And I think <laughs> that's definitely helped. It's like sometimes I find myself on the sofa with one child. And I think, all right, now you've got to get up and I need the other child so that everyone feels like they're getting a bit of cuddle time and connection time yeah (laughs) so you're managing all of that and how do you I'm looking at in from the outside and I'm thinking you are in a kind of caring profession a profession where you have to find empathy you're then parenting children who require empathy to you know a fairly high level how do you look after yourself look after your relationship you know I think I'd just be grumpy in the rest of the time (laughs) mindless trashy tv (laughs) (laughs) what's your favorite tell me your favorite show 
something like Gogglebox or, um, or or even a detective show, Line of Duty or um, a house programme where you can be watching but sort of switch off. I think yeah. you and I, I should hang out. Yeah, I watch all of yeah. that. I love Tipping Point as well. I, I'm so tragic that I've actually got Tipping Point on series record. <laughs> yeah, I need um, to go. <laughs> yes. um, I think also we we find that it's important to have that downtime in the evening once they're in bed. We're lucky that they are pretty good sleepers, so we don't have issues with their with their sleeping. So we find that the evenings we are able to have some downtime, but often you just want some you know adult time, some alone time with your partner, where you know you just want to relax. Um, we also find that you know obviously pre pandemic we would get out once or twice a month we'd maybe just go and have an afternoon or an evening and and do things for ourselves just to have some time but then you'd often sit there thinking you know having a drink and talking about the children so that doesn't always work (laughs) and I think you know it's exercise is really important so finding the opportunity Jacob runs a lot and he finds that works well for him just to reflect on things especially when there's been a hair raising day at home and um, ask them to cycle with the children and, you know, try and get in the garden and relax outdoors when you can. I think that's really important. Yeah, for me, chocolate fills that space, but there we go. <laughs> yeah, and chocolate and wine, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if I'd been listening to this, this conversation between you and me before I had my child, I might be thinking, that sounds like a right slog. I'm not even sure that I want to do that. And I wonder if it's worth us just touching on the balance and how it all mixes together to make something worthwhile. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I hope I haven't come across too negative because that's not how it is at all. I think it's just important to be to be honest and I think to prepare yourself and to to um, have people around you that what I would say are on your bus, people that are on the bus with you that can support you through this is really important um, so that you can turn to them when you need something, even if it's going and getting you some groceries, for example. You know, I think it's really important overall to know that, you know, this is this has been an amazing journey for us and we've we we would highly recommend adoption. We'd actually started IVF previously and now um, you know, on reflection, we wish we hadn't even gone down the IVF route. We wish we'd just started with adoption, although we wouldn't have these three children if that was the case. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, everything happens for a reason. But I think, you know, there's no no part of us that would regret what we're doing. I think, you know, these children are absolutely amazing and they're everything we want. But I think the the part the point I want to get across is that you've got to be prepared for all eventualities and you've got to turn to the professionals around you for support. You've got to, you know, inform yourself by reading about adopted children and understanding that it's just totally different because these children have had things thrown at them that um, they don't even understand themselves. So you're there trying to help make sense. So as long as you are prepared that you know, you may be faced with some difficult days, then I think it's an absolutely amazing journey to go on. Yeah, I agree with that because I've seen friends, friends from New Family Social mainly, um, go through some really difficult things. And the ones that have rid, ridden sort of through that storm are the ones who have sought and accepted professional help when they've needed it, lent on other adopters and foster carers and just 
really sort of, as you say, find the people who are on the same bus because it's easier to say, oh, I don't know, like the hamster died. And people who have adopted know that this isn't just the dead hamster rite of passage that everybody goes through. But it's for an adopted child, it's another loss. It's another thing that went out of their control that they can't ever put back. And it's so much more significant. And I think other people who are on this bus get that. Yeah, I, I do agree. And it's and it's even things down to the, the soft toy or the dummy or the nappy or anything like that. Because, you know, it's that, that as you said, that loss and what it represents to them, especially if they moved with that item, you know, how it's not just a dummy, it's not just, you know, a pair of shoes or a nappy or a toy. It means so much more because it represents that loss that they've suffered. Yeah, I agree with that completely. So tell me what success looks like in your family. Sometimes they can be small steps forward, can't they? And I just wonder if you can think of something where you can see that you're it's going well, you're achieving something, all that connection's there. I think the fact that they, they're really positive, they love family, they love being social, they love connection and cuddles. We're very lucky like that. You know, we, we have, you know, a lot of touch and I think that's really important because that's a, a nonverbal way of connecting. And I think for, for us seeing our middle child, our daughter, who we know arrived at foster care unable to walk at age two and was on her knees and that's the only way she could walk now seeing her flourish in ballet class and (laughs) her little brother joining her and and having fun along the way and her eldest mastering the piano now out of choice and and putting in that effort and Overall, the three of them just being incredible readers. Um, you know, they are highly intelligent and they absolutely love reading. They they're all doing really well in their school and they ask to read and it's a real big passion of theirs, which you know I think is so positive that they've connected with books in that way, because in other areas, yes, they are lacking. So it's great to see them flourish in the areas that they that they're able to. That's amazing. I can hear how proud you are of them in your voice, which is really lovely. So if people are listening to this and either, you know, they're not yet adopters or foster carers or they are, but they're in the earlier stages, I wonder what your advice would be to people. I would say to to anyone going down this journey that, um, you know, it is, an, it is an amazing journey, but it is going to be different to how you may imagine it. I would say, you know, connect with other adopters, um, get it, get child experience if you haven't got that by looking after fringe children and just becoming familiar with that. And and do a lot of reading, blogs, um, adoption related books, and and just you know have an open mind and be prepared for a different journey and, and be guided by your social worker or by friends that from New Family Social or any of the groups that you're in because um, that's really important to have that supportive network and to to follow the process you know positively and know that even though there are those difficult days at the end of the day you are giving a, a forever home to a child or children that wouldn't necessarily have had that chance um, had they remained with their birth family. That's amazing. Thank you so much. I'd like to thank my guest today, Nino. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. 
Follow us on Twitter at LGBT Adopt Foster and on Facebook search New Family Social or one word. Visit our website at newfamilysocial.org.uk. Adoption, Fostering and Tea is produced by New Family Social. The presenter was me, Tor Doherty, with music from Matt Doherty. The producer was John Jenkins. We'll be back next week with more guests and more tea. Thank you.